Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to another edition of We Talk Photo. I'm one of your hosts, John Peterson, and my co-host, Mr. Jack Graham, is still on his extended sabbatical. He's still doing great, getting healthy, happy, enjoying life, and staying safe in this uh, pandemic world that we live in today. Uh, Jack will be back with me here in just not too long, um, so you don't have to listen to me for too much longer. Well, on today's episode, I don't have a guest host. I'm taking a little break from from interviewing, and I uh, thought I'd just share some some news, some knowledge, and want to leave you with some thoughts about uh, photography, about your photography, and how you might approach it. So we'll get to that towards the end of the show. But maybe today, to kick it off, I'll start with a little bit of trivia. Because, you know, who doesn't like trivia? Did you know that the word photography comes from the Greek language, meaning to draw with light? To draw with light. Think about that. Really, that's what our sensors do. That's what our cameras do. That's what our lenses do. It's all about capturing light and how we approach light is uh, really interesting, and it's a it's a whole study within the photographic industry. But really, um, I I wrote a, a book recently, and one of the chapters is called "Be a Student of Light." And I tell you, when I started photographing, that was the one thing that I realized and started doing was studying light in all of its various shapes and forms. Um, from artificial light to natural light, the time of the day, the angle of the light, the color temperature, all of that stuff, as you guys all know, is important for creating a, a successful photograph. But really understanding light is, is in my book, kind of the key to really understanding and, and creating compelling images. So the word photography is Greek, meaning to draw with light. Okay, who can answer this one? When was the first digital camera invented? It was invented in 1975 by a gentleman named Steve Sasson. He was working for Kodak. And that first digital camera was only 0.01 megapixels, and it weighed 8 pounds. Look how far we've come today. 50 megapixels, 100 megapixels... It's just incredible how quickly this technology is developed into these incredible tools that we carry with us all the time. Even our phones, um, you know, looking at our 12 and 15 megabyte phone or megapixel phones, um, it's just, it's crazy how far this technology has come. Did you know, so who can answer this? Who invented Photoshop. And when did they do it? It was a pair of brothers named Noel, K-N-O-L-L, and they started writing it in 1987. Adobe purchased it in um, 88 or 89, and then it was released in 1990. So Photoshop is 30 years old. Can you believe that? Who knows the uh, which is the most viewed photograph in the history of the world? TikTok. It's the Windows XP default wallpaper. Yeah. And then the, the, the last piece of trivia for you, the human eye. 
Do you know what apertures our human eye has is capable of? According to science, they say that uh, our eye can achieve an F2 aperture in dark conditions. And then in bright light, it's only at 8.3. So that's pretty interesting uh, how far the iris can go. So there you have it for uh, a little trivia day today. Um, just thought I'd grab a quick thing, a couple quick things off the internet. Um, news, lots of news out there. Um, you know, the, the Canon R5, R6 got launched. The X-T4 is, is uh, Fuji X-T4 is out in everybody's hands and uh, been getting great reviews on all of those cameras. You know, the one thing that I've really noticed uh, in the last eh, maybe month or so, uh, scanning the news and the industry sites, is heat. In these new cameras, heat dissipation is getting to be a great concern. There's been reports about X-T4s overheating, and then the, the R5 and the R6 from Canon, they're having issues dealing with the heat with, with those cameras. I even saw today, I saw an aftermarket company that has built a, a fan that you can mount on the back of your camera to help cool, cool it. Then there's rumors that there's a there's a a lens adapter, you know, to go between a non-native lens and the body that has that can have a built-in fan to it. So it's it's really interesting how the the computing power of these cameras is getting so crazy. And with that comes these demands that we don't normally think about, like having to deal with heat. And it's it's really creative how the camera companies are going to have to balance uh, the size of the body as well as the heat dissipation. I think Fuji was looking at putting a, an, an internal uh, fan in their X-T4, but they wanted to keep the size relatively small, so they didn't. And granted, uh, Fujifilm says, you know, that the heat really only comes into play for it with extended video shooting. All still shooting shouldn't be a problem at all. But it's really kind of interesting, this trend uh, all of a sudden with these new releases about heat management. Um, for those folks that use Luminar, I don't know if you saw, but there's a new Luminar release, 4.3. And 4.3's got some, uh, it's not a, a wholesale uh, improvement, but they've got some really nice features coming out in it. There's a photo search. Now there's a native uh, integration with 500px if you post your photos up there. Of course, like every software release, they've got stability and performance improvements. There's uh, When you use the looks down at the bottom of the screen, it's a faster response time to that. They've got cropping improvements. They've uh, did some improvements to the augmented sky, the AI logic for dealing with skies. Uh, they've got updated camera support. So I downloaded this when it first came out and found the software to be extremely easy easy to use, very stable, no bugs that I've been able to find. So that was a great kind of update for me. Um, there's a, a new product that some of you, I've gotten a couple emails on and, and I saw it come out real early, uh, a beta prototype of it. It's called the Revo Ring. 
Revo ring. It's from a company called H&Y. They're a filter company out of the UK. I, I happen to use their magnetic uh, filter system, which is fantastic. Um, but they've come up with a variable step-up ring that works with all of your lenses. So for those of you still using round filters, like me, you're probably used to having a lot of different step-up rings of various sizes in your camera bag to fit those filters and the lenses. So what H&Y did, they came up with an adjustable step-up ring. So you only need to carry one these days. It's got a locking mechanism to it so it won't adjust on the fly. You can, you can order it with a built-in uh, circular polarizer. Um, really slick, slick invention. And, and I have not had one in my hands yet. Uh, I've got one coming. Um, but knowing the rest of the H&Y products, I'm sure it's going to be made incredibly, incredibly well. So look for that. You can Google it. There's a, a couple of videos on YouTube. Kai W did a, a great video up on YouTube for that. Um, Petapixel had an article on it, which was fantastic, uh, well written. So there's a lot of uh, lot of stuff out there to research on that if you're interested in a variable step up ring. So the the comet, the Neowise comet. How many of you went out and shot that? I think a lot of people did. I sure did. Um, I went out a couple of times because I liked it. It was something fun. It was something different to do for me, too. It was very different than my normal style of photography that I usually do. Um, I got a couple of shots over the uh, Vista House out in the Columbia River Gorge. It's one of the best um, locations nearby the Portland area to go out and photograph this comet. We've got a really nice foreground element and then the comet streaking over the side of this uh, this old visitor structure on the point of land so I thought it came out really well I wanted to get out to the beach um, but we have this persistent marine layer that happens on the Oregon coast and um, for early reports I was reading from everybody was that 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 marine layer was just blocking any decent shots of the comet so unfortunately I didn't go um, you know, I'll go again in 6,800 years when it comes back around. But the, you know, the cool thing about the comet is that I don't shoot a lot of astrophotography stuff. I know some of you folks do, and that's great. But for me, I used it as a, as an excuse or as a challenge to go out and shoot something different. Especially in this, uh, this new pandemic landscape where I'm struggling a little bit for creativity, being challenged to shoot something new that I don't normally do is a fantastic opportunity for me. And that's what I would encourage all of you to do, too, is, you know, if there's something you're interested in that you've never shot, go out and try to shoot it. Push your own knowledge, skills, and abilities and grow them. Because what that'll do, I mean, if I know how to shoot astrophotography, that knowledge is goes into my cumulative cumulative knowledge base. So when I'm out shooting more normal shots for me, 
I'll still have that knowledge in the back of my head and it may come in handy. A lot of times I'll shoot blue hour after sunset and it starts getting very, 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 very dark. And knowing what I know about the Earth's rotation and, you know, how long to keep exposures open so you don't get blurry stars, all that kind of stuff just goes into my memory banks and helps all of my photography. So, folks, go out, shoot something new. I mean, I can't encourage you to do that enough. I know sometimes a lot of us are a little bit out of sorts right now, a lot of anxiety, um, not traveling like we used to. Most of our trips have been canceled. There's still a ton of stuff for you to do around the house or around the immediate area where you can stay safe and sane. So the comment, hope you shot it. Um, if you have any examples uh, you want to sh- send me, that would be great. I'd love to see your comment shots. Um, we talk photo at gmail.com. Send them in. I'll even put them up on our uh, podcast webpage if you want, with credit to you, of course. Um, it was just sort of a little bit of a challenge. A lot of people got some really cool images of this basically once in a lifetime opportunity. One thing I did want to touch on was uh, was an article I read recently about, uh, and the title of the, the article was, Are you using software to fix errors or do you invest in a more permanent solution? And the long and the short of this article is something if you've hung around with Jack long enough and and with me is we push and strive to get everything as right as possible in the camera. Post-processing can only do so much to fix bad technique in the field And in some cases, like uh, a circular polarizer, software really doesn't do a good job of replacing proper filter usage out in the field. And so it was kind of cool to see this article come up on on um, on Petapixel talking about basically trying to get the shots right in camera as much as you possibly can. And... uh, if you don't have the right lens for the type of photography you do, instead of cropping or instead of doing a content-aware fill, buy the right lens. If you don't have the right filters, buy some filters. It's really investing in getting the shot right as possible in your camera. So I can't encourage you enough to do that. Um, If you have questions about that, feel free to drop me an email. Happy to talk about it. I've been spending a lot of time talking and coaching and, and, and working with folks remotely during this, uh, during this kind of shutdown time. And so I'm more than happy to hear from you all. If you want to send questions, comments, anything, and, and want to have a conversation about photography, I encourage you to do that. You know, one other, um, one other thing I kind of wanted to touch on real quick is, uh, tr- you know, trying to stay creative during this time. I've talked to a lot of people who have basically put down their cameras and haven't really shot much during this extended sort of safety zone time. Um, I haven't shot nearly as much as I used to, you know, I'll admit myself, but that doesn't mean I'm not busy. So I, I would kind of encourage you guys give you a little bit of a call to action 
that there's a lot of things that you can do either with or without your camera and still stay stay relatively safe with this pandemic. I've been doing more internal shots inside the house. So I've I set up a little studio inside of my office. Been shooting a lot of macros. I've got a, a, a giant agate collection. So I, I've got some clear plexiglass. I laid the agates out on the plexiglass. I got, have a, a Litra light. A couple of different little USB-powered lights that I put underneath the agate so the light would shine through and glow. And shot some beautiful macro shots. You know, I'm not really a rock photographer or that's not something that I would normally do. But in this time of COVID, I'm getting creative. You know, one of the other things I've been doing too is um, going back through my past catalog of images and I've been doing it for a couple of reasons. Number one, to add a few more images up to my website and to a couple other sites that I have, like Fine Art America. I've got images up there as well posted for sale. But, you know, the cool thing that this has caused to happen is I've been able to rework a lot of my older images. I've got a lot more knowledge, skills, and abilities in the digital darkroom today than I had you know, even, even two years ago. And so I'm able to bring a lot more finer touch to my image and do a lot more nuanced processing of my images. And it's been, it's been an absolute joy to rework some of these older images with my new er skills. And they've, the images have almost taken on a whole new life of their own, or, or basically they're, they're like brand new images for me because they look so much better than they did when I originally processed them. So go back through, go back through your past catalogs, try to process some of your favorite images in a new way with some of your newfound knowledge, skills, and abilities. And if you need any help with that, again, drop me an email. I'm happy to help you and give some advice or critiques on how I might suggest to process an image and what tools I would use to do that. So don't ever hesitate to reach out uh, to me for right now. Um, or, you know, and eventually it'll be me and Jack. But, but reach out, ask questions. That's the only way we learn and get better is by asking questions and seeing how other people do things. So again, reach out. You know, the other the other cool thing that, that I've been focused on too is creating different collections out of my catalog of images. I've got, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of images in my catalog. Um, and about five years ago, I pulled a few of them and created a book. And this book was about rust. And all the different forms of rust and, and the different things that rust appears on. So it was a book about rust, which I thought was kind of interesting. I enjoyed it and I liked it at the time. And and I brought a few of those books to uh, to an art show. Think, and I didn't think anybody else would be that interested in this type of subject matter. And I tell you what, I discovered that a lot of people like rust that book sold out so fast and I was, I was really amazed by that. And so I've published a couple more, um, 
revisions of that book and, and it's continued to sell well. And so with that, with that in mind, what I did is I went through my catalog and found even more Rust images and created a, a, um, a collection, a curated collection of images on my website, all devoted to Rust. Likewise, there, I, I created a curated collection of all my monochrome images. So I went through my past catalogs, found existing monochrome images, as well as edited a few more that I didn't touch previously. And I now have this curated collection of Rust images. I've also got a curated collection that I've been working on today around circles. I know it's a random thing, but circles, it's something that I, I found that looking through my catalog, I had a lot of images of round things, markers, wheels, steering wheels. Um, you know, it doesn't matter just anything round. I had a lot of pictures of, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to start creating a curated collection of circles. So there's a lot of things that you can do with your own images to, to create a, what I would call a curated collection of your own images. Go through and find different themes. Do you have a yellow theme, a leaf theme, a water theme, a beach theme, a texture theme? Um, whatever it may be, you can pick and, and just figure out what a theme might be and then grab six to 20 different images that may fit within that theme and make a curated collection. Put a slideshow up on Facebook, share them with your friends, print them out. Oh my gosh, print them out. Um, there's a lot of things you can do with curated collections. So that's just a little challenge that I'll give you to do at home when you have some free time. Hopefully you still have some uh, to find and create different collections within your images. Uh, they can even be location specific, right? If you've gone on a photo workshop, uh, you know, we all sort of group our images largely uh, around photo workshops when we attend them. But within a photo workshop, grab a subset of them. You know, it could be the Tetons, animals, Tetons, mountains, whatever it may be, you can create little mini collections of images and present them as a curated collection. And I think uh, your friends and family will enjoy that. So the last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about is um, a quote that I, I hope a lot of you have seen before. It's from a guy named uh, David Allen Harvey. And it says, don't shoot what it looks like, shoot what it feels like. Don't shoot what it looks like, shoot what it feels like. What do you guys think about that? On the surface, that sounds okay, sure. But in practice, how do you shoot what something feels like? You know, too often as photographers, we're wrapped up in the technical aspects of executing our images using the latest tools and techniques in our cameras and blah, 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 blah. But what about the feeling? What about the feeling? What does it feel like to be in that specific location? 
how do you convey that? How do you how do you capture that feeling and convey it to somebody who might be looking at one of your images? That to me, bringing feeling into your art is one of those things that I strive for every single time I go out. Tell a story, bring some feeling to it. How do you do that? Well, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, you know, the first the first way I recommend is you really need to slow down and connect with your environment. For those, again, that know Jack, you know, and he's very right when he says slow down, slow down, slow down. When you get out of the car at a new location, don't take your camera out of the bag. Walk around. Get a feel for your location. Try to understand what kinds of feelings are coming up in you. What kinds of feelings could be captured at this particular location? Are there environmental conditions that that could lead to a mysterious or quiet or somber or excite, excited kind of feelings? You won't know that until you kind of slow down and connect with your surroundings. When you think about feelings in photographs, one of the other big things is color, right? What colors are present in your composition? How are they arranged? And what is the, what's the color balance? You know, typically when we're shooting landscape, there's a lot of, of course, different colors, you know, red, orange, and purple and yellow, or green, blues, whites, browns, that type of stuff. How much of each individual color is in your composition? Because, you know, color has a profound impact on the viewer, on how we feel. Red as a color typically conveys, you know, excitement, strength, love, energy. Green is nature, healing, freshness, quality. Blues typically invoke trust, feelings, peace, loyalty. Uh, browns are, are dependable, rugged, trustworthy, simple, that type of stuff. So each, you know, scientists have studied colors and human perceptions and, and they've been able to assign sort of feelings or themes for each of these colors. So as you compose different scenes, look at the colors that are in your composition and figure out you know, if I've got a lot of reds, ooh, that could be a lot of energy. Does my composition lend itself to an energetic kind of feeling? Or if I've got a lot of blue, which peace is one of those things, having peace, peaceful. Does my composition depict peacefulness? You know, sometimes you can have a lot of blue and then you have a subject that's really energetic, let's say moving water, and you could have a vibrant subject in a very somber color palette and the image is a little bit incongruous that way. So looking at your compositions, look at the color balance. Look at the colors that are being used. And, you know, if you guys want a little bit more color theory information, there's tons of stuff out on the on, on the web. Um, I wrote a new blog post uh, dealing with with shoot what it feels like, um, where I've got a chart of color theory up 
posted. So go to, you know, johnpetersonphoto.com. You can see it there or just Google it. Um, you know, the other way, the other thought about feelings and capturing feelings in photographs is, is looking at the balance of an image, the visual weight of different elements within the image. Is there any tension in the image? And, you know, balance is a fairly simple thing. Is the image balanced or unbalanced? Is it equally weighted, you know, left to right, top to bottom? Or is it unbalanced in one particular way, way or the other? Both, both balanced and unbalanced are fine. Um, you know, I always preach that if you're going to shoot an unbalanced image, make it very intentional that, that people know that's what you're doing. It's a very intentionally unbalanced image. And typically, unbalanced images have a little bit of tension built into it. Just the very nature of being unbalanced brings tension to an image. So if, if you're trying to create a calm feeling image and it's unbalanced with, with a lot of tension in them, that could be a little bit incongruous as well. So if you're going for calm, typically viewers like to see more balance in, in a photograph. Visual weight is another one of those things. All the different objects or elements in your composition, how big are they in the frame overall? How big are they in relation to one another? Does one dominate the other? Um, visual weight related to balance can also bring some tension or harmony in, into the image. You know, and shutter speed is another another quick tool to use when you're thinking about feelings. You know, if you want to, if you want to create an ener energetic upbeat type of image, whatever you're shooting, you might want a faster shutter speed. You might want to stop the water. If you're shooting animals that are fighting, you know, of course you want a faster shutter speed, but those types of things that, that might require more energy, a little bit faster shutter speed. Then conversely, things that are calmer, like shooting um, sunset at the beach. I, for me, I like to convey the power of the ocean, which has, you know, power has some energy to it, but I don't want to stop the water. I typically want to smooth the water out to a point where it brings calm to people while still having enough definition in the water to portray a sense of strength and a, and a sense of motion. So, you know, there's things you can do. Think about, think about feeling. How do you convey feeling in your photograph? Sometimes it's a, it's a challenging thing to think about as you're composing a new scene. You know, you roll up on someplace new and, and it's all you can do just to take in the, the majesty of the scene that you're at. Um, but I encourage you to slow down, get over the initial excitement, and then try to connect with your surroundings. I'll even go so far, it sounds a little hippie-ish, but I'll go so far and think about what is the landscape telling me that I should shoot. So I'll try to listen to, to my surroundings and say, what, what is compelling me to shoot? different elements of the landscape. Could be a grand sweeping landscape, could be an intimate portrait, it could be a color, it could be a shape. Um, 
But oftentimes we can't hear those little voices inside of our head unless we slow down. So, folks, that's all I got for today. I'll have some exciting um, interviews coming up for you here in the next couple of episodes. So stay shooting, stay safe. And again, if you have any questions, comments, um, want to talk about photography, critique images, whatever it may be, drop me a line at wetalkphoto at gmail.com and I'll get back to you uh, within a day. Um, yeah, so otherwise, thanks for listening. Um, stay safe, as, as I said again, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye.